Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you're listening to Reset, your daily dose of conversation on the news, politics, arts, and culture. Sure, young adults leave the nest, but millennials might not be moving away from their hometowns to find jobs as often as you might think. A study out this week from the U.S. Census Bureau and Harvard found that four out of five millennials surveyed still live less than 100 miles from their hometown. We did our own poll here at Reset and found that two out of three staffers born between 1984 and 1992 fit this trend. Here to fill us in on some of the key findings of the actual study and what it can tell us about labor markets is Ben Sprung-Kaiser. He's an economics PhD student at Harvard and a lead researcher on the study. Why study millennials specifically? Sure, absolutely. So one of the reasons why we study millennials in this case is because we want to know people growing up right now and people growing up in the last couple of decades, where are they moving? And we know in particular that, you know, right after you turn 18 in those couple of years and in your early 20s, those are some of the periods where people move the most in their life. And so those are the periods where they choose to spend a lot of the rest of their life. And so it seemed particularly important at a time like this to try to learn a little bit more about that and figure out, given where people start, where do they go? Yeah. Well, your study defined a millennial as those born between 1984 and 1992. How did you pick those years specifically? Because I've always heard the 1981 to 96 definition yeah. for millennial. So, so I'll be honest, that's not because we have some deep belief about what a millennial should be. That's really just a matter of convenience here. So what we're trying to do is understand how migration patterns change over the course of the last decade or so. In particular, trying to study folks who were in their mid-20s just at the heart of the Great Recession versus sort of a decade later when the economy was doing much better and booming. In order to do that and to study both of those periods of time, we need to sort of narrow in a little bit on that period from 1984 to 92. But I should note that I'm personally, for example, considered a millennial. And unfortunately, I don't fall within this category. Right. Because, Same. Uh, I'm just on the far side <laughs> I was of like, man, off. I'm disqualified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Well, you know, those who listen closely to this program know that I definitely live more than 100 miles from, from where I grew up anyway. So I, I, I definitely don't, don't qualify. Um, but uh, you worked on the study in part with uh, data from the U.S. Census, right? You measured where folks moved uh, between childhood and young adulthood which you define that's a, as that's exactly right. 16 and 26, respectively. Um, why did you choose those markers? Sure. I, I think all of it for us is just trying about understanding where people are in high school, thinking about as sort of a measure of where they're going up and where they move after they start making the decisions about, you know, where they're going to find a first job or where they're going to settle down and start a family, all of those things. And so it seemed to sort of a pretty natural 10-year period to understand the sort of first set of big moves people make after finishing high school. Yeah. What, what about uh, what millennials do after 26? So it's a completely fascinating question. And to be honest, one we hope to study in the future. But we started 16 to 26 and we'll look to work our way. Ben's like, we don't know yet. (laughs) Come back to me. Uh, So give me the big question here that you were trying to answer overall in this study. Sure. So the first part of the study that we're trying to just answer the basic question, when people grow up in a given place, where do they go? What do those patterns look like? 
And so what we've done is not just document the sort of average distances that people travel, but also tried to create some maps to understand for people starting in a given place, what are the specific destinations that we go to? And we can look at these patterns, not just for the population as a whole, but we can also look at them sort of within demographic subgroups, seeing how that changes for black versus white individuals, seeing how that changes for individuals raised in high income families versus low income families. And so the first thing we just wanted to understand is what those patterns were. And one of the really salient things that comes out that, as you noted, is that most young adults remain relatively close to home. Mm -hmm. So 80 percent of young adults have moved less than 100 miles from their childhood home. And in fact, almost 60 percent have moved less than 10 miles. So, Ben, you found that 90 percent of millennials live within 500 miles of where they grew up. Why is that significant? Well, I think it's mostly significant in just understanding sort of what the set of potential areas that someone might go to. So one of the sort of later implications of the study that we think about is how does this impact government investment and the targeting of policy in local areas. And it suggests that most people are staying relatively close to where they grew up. And so if you want to help folks who, you know, grew up in Chicago and you feel like that's the, you know, that's the group you're trying to, to make sure you provide and provide support for, you can do that by making sure you provide support locally. Because it turns out that most of those people are going to stay pretty nearby. And so we sort of talk about this radius of opportunity, which in some ways is just like draw a circle on the map from where you grew up. If that circle is 500, you know, 500 miles wide, truth is you're probably going to stay in that circle. Mm -hmm. How does this vary across race and class lines? Sure. So in, in a bunch of, of quite interesting ways, one of the patterns that we document in the paper is that migration distances are furthest for Asian young adults, then subsequently a little bit shorter for white young adults, and then followed by Hispanic young adults and black young adults. And for example, there's about a 60 mile difference in average migration distances for black young adults versus white young adults. And that's both about the decision to leave the place in which you grew up and also about decision of how far that someone chooses to go. We get a similar kind of pattern with thinking about results across levels of parental income. So we can look at individuals whose parents were in the sort of top 20% of income versus the bottom 20% of income. And the evidence here suggests that those raised in higher income families, those folks move a lot further as well. Interesting. So, so migration distances were shorter for Black and Hispanic young adults as compared exactly to their right. white and Asian counterparts. Exactly. Ben, let's jump to the phones. Margot is waiting. She's calling from Ravenswood. Hey, Margot, welcome to Reset. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So um, I'm I'm uh, one of the one out of five, and I thought it would just kind of be interesting <laughs> to speak as to why. Well, hello. Um, so I grew, up, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I've lived in Chicago since 2004. I graduated from college in 2008. Um, so I think that will be very telling for everyone of my generation. Um, so we were, I think, the lowest uh, perform, like in terms of, of uh, pay and success and everything ever, if I'm not mistaken. Your, your, your colleague can probably assist with that. Um, but it was definitely a difficult time to be graduating from college and job searching. Yeah. So um, I know a lot of people did head home. However, in my case, as a teacher, um, I applied for jobs in Texas, and I applied for jobs in Chicago, and the pay was almost double here. So I have been here since. 
Um, ah. I love it. I now have a two-year-old daughter, and with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, I also have no intentions of returning to Texas. Uh, my mother would love for me to change my mind, but um, I just thought that that would be a perspective to share. Oh, that was was so great. Thank you, Margot, for sharing. Very interesting, right? You know, moving here from from Dallas, she said. You know, 2008 was a tough year, Ben. Right. Absolutely, completely. And I think uh, although we don't cover this as much in our specific study, there is a lot of evidence about the way in which the job search process looked different for folks Mm -hmm. who graduated in college in 2008. The one thing I'll note that's particularly fascinating, I think, about Margot's story here is that it's one of the things that we look at. Margot mentioned that she moved as a result of a job opportunity. Pay was higher, and so she moved. And that's one of the things that we actually focus on the paper itself, which is how much do people choose where they move in response to those wage opportunities. As it turns out, I think Margot's a somewhat anomalous case. There are certainly people that move in response to wage changes, but it's relatively rare for people to move substantial number of distances, hundreds and hundreds of miles Mm -hmm. in search of better job opportunities. Yeah. Well, let's hear from another caller. Here's Alexia. Hi, welcome to Reset. Hello. So I grew up in the Chicago suburbs out in Aurora, and believe it or not, I'm back 15 years later after moving all over the U.S. I moved away in 2003 to Florida. Uh, went to the University of Florida for nine years, got my doctorate in pharmacy. And um, it, mine's a little different, you know, for, for job-wise and financially and all that. I moved um, out to New Mexico from Florida for a residency, stayed out there for about four years. And then, I, you know, I would come back to Chicago once a year, and there's just really no place like home. I ended up moving back here four years ago, actually, to the city. I was in Chicago for a little while, and now I'm back in Aurora. And wow. everyone's like, why did you do that? You moved everywhere. You've seen everything. You're coming back to the cold. You're coming back to your hometown. And I'm like, I don't even have family left here. But it's just there's really no place like home. I kept finding myself wanting my old friends, my old community, just the, yeah. the whole, I guess, no place like home. It was home comfortable. Real, like, yeah. No, I hear you. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Thanks for sharing that, Alexia. Uh, we got a tweet from Devin who said, uh, this Gen Xer moved to Chicago solely for the opportunities available, so much greater than smaller communities. So, Ben, let's talk more about that. What What about folks who have moved here, you know, from other parts of the country to come to Chicago? Where are they coming from? What patterns are sure. you seeing? Absolutely. They, they seem to be coming primarily from places that are relatively close by. So, for example, the most common place that people currently living in Chicago came from in terms of major cities is Detroit, right? An average about 250 miles away or so. Mm-hmm. And over 1% of young adults who are in Chicago are actually from Detroit. That's also true for a series of places that are sort of right around the area in Chicago. So depending on how you draw the line between different areas, you get a large number of people, for example, coming from Gary, Indiana, into the sort of Chicago commuting zone proper. And so those are the kinds of moves that happen. Now, you certainly do get moves from faraway places. A bunch of people from Los Angeles move there as well. But uh, they tend to be relatively concentrated in the area around Chicago. Yeah. Did you look at who's leaving Chicago? Like, where are they moving to? Yeah, absolutely. So the answer is also relatively similar. You, you get a bunch of movement to nearby areas, movements to Decatur and areas of that sort, although a couple of random places pop out as well. I guess people who live in Seattle wouldn't regard it as random, but Seattle happens to be a particularly popular destination. Same thing with Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. draws a, a large number of people. And as you might expect, New York as well, a, a quite big city that's a popular place to move in your 20s. Well, well, Devin alluded to it in, in his tweet, but you know, what did the study find about how much higher wages 
actually draw millennials? So there's certainly an effect and people move in response to higher wages, but it, it looks to be, I think, a relatively small part of the total story. That is to say that people, you know, all the time search for jobs for with that that pay them more, but they're not hugely likely to search for jobs very far away in order to do so. And so if you have, you know, an increase in incomes of, let's say, $1,000 or something like that, you know, a meaningful increase, uh, you might get like a 1% increase in the population or something of that sort, mm -hmm. but you don't get massive changes in the number of people who move to a good place. And because, as one of the callers says, you know, there really is no place like home. And so a lot of people, uh, for a lot of good reasons, want to stick with stone. Yeah. Does the study show anything about Chicago's labor market specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've actually uh, built a bunch of these maps that you can go and look at the specific situation in different places. You can see in Chicago, for example, that uh, 70, uh, I believe it's 76% of individuals who grew up in Chicago stay there as young adults. Uh, and it happens to be, for example, that amongst black young adults in Chicago, that number is uh, relatively similar. It's, it's relatively similar across uh, black, white and Hispanic young adults. Ben, let's take another call. Here is Esther in Evanston. Hi, Esther. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Um, so I was listening to you, and I was thinking about myself. I'm not from Chicago originally. My Just to make the story short, my uh, then-husband and I met in high school in Miami Beach, where he was born. And um, then went to college, of course. But... Uh, we are the boomer generation, and basically he almost got uh, called up, and so he joined the Army, and that sent him first of all to Georgia, and then it sent him to um, – we went to Germany, and, and then it was after that, where are we going to go next, and schooling. And so he got into the – uh, chiropractic college in Lombard, so we lived in Wheaton for a while, and then I got it to UIC. Oh, wow. And we moved to Evanston. So, you know, it was all of that, but it was never where we were going to stay. It was always, well, when we're done with this, we're going to go back east. And then uh. we were done with it, and we fell in love with Chicago. I love this place. And so I think what happened with our generation, the boomer generation, is that the, the call up for the military, you are going to get either drafted or you signed up or you were lucky, um, sort of yeah. kind of pulled people away from home. Interesting. And then they had to decide, well, am I going back home after, after having dis been displaced for a period of time? Um, Interesting. Uh, so, so it was a lot more, yeah, yeah, military, the military so certainly influenced things back then, yeah. for sure. Different generation, different time, uh, but very interesting. Thank you, Esther. I, I, we're glad you stayed. <laughs> uh, we got a voicemail message, Ben, from someone who moved to Chicago because her daughter started having kids and she wanted to be near her grandchildren. Uh, so she said on her voicemail, I hope she never moves so that I never have to move. I'm wondering, when we think of millennials, though, for, this, for the focus of this conversation, how does student loan debt play into these trends that you're seeing? I mean, the cost of college, that's gone up and up and up over the years. Millions of millennials right now, I know them, still paying off these loans. Did you look into that at all? 
So it's a completely fascinating question. It's not something we touch on in the study itself. So I don't think it's something I can sort of speak to directly, but it is, I think, certainly the case. And there's a lot of evidence out there by other researchers that large amounts of student loan debts really impact the decisions that people make. Uh, and I think, you know, it, one creates a, a potential desire to go and get a high paying job that allows you in order to pay off debt, for example, but it also makes it very difficult to make those kinds of leaps, for example, when things like moving costs can be really expensive and those yeah. kinds of adjustments. And so I think that sort of general issue that there's a, you know, a real startup cost to trying to move your life somewhere else, that uh, I think that really comes through in the data. Well, you know, before I let you go, Ben, any questions that you can share that this study brought up for you personally and whether those are things that you might want to study further? Sure. So I guess on a personal note, one of the questions is, are my parents okay with me living away so far from home? But uh, <laughs> realistically, in terms of research here, I think I think a lot of this is uh, uh, presents questions about how differences across place translate into opportunity. So why is it that people who grow up in certain areas are less likely to be high earning than other people in other areas? And what can uh, government do in order to address those problems? And so we think a lot here about the sort of radius of opportunity, the area within which the local growth might benefit you. And I mm -hmm. think one of the key questions there is, then what can we do knowing that people stay close to home in order to provide the benefits people need so that they can have high paying jobs no matter where they live? Interesting stuff. That was Ben Sprung-Kaiser, economics PhD student at Harvard University. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. That's all for today's Reset. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to subscribe for more. And we want to know, what do you think of the podcast? Our team is working to improve your listening experience. So leave us a review, please. We read every single one. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.